Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. I'm your host, Phil Friedrich, and today I am honored to have Jason Lynette with me. Jason is a hypnotic influence expert, and he took a passion of magic and hypnosis and turned it into a business where he helps people overcome their fears and the obstacles in their life. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you enjoy his pivotal moments. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I am honored to have Jason Lynette with me. Jason has quite the laundry list of accolades, but uh, he's a hypnotic influence expert. Uh, He has multiple podcasts that he runs, and then he's also authored books. And so I'm excited for him to share some of his wisdom in, you know, how hypnosis can influence people, uh, but also just how he's gotten to where he's at. So Jason, thanks so much for being on. Hey, Phil, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So Jason, as we talk about, you know, who knew in the moment, right, and highlighting those pivotal moments that have taken you from, I didn't even know what was happening at that moment to where I am today. (laughs) Uh, One thing that stood out to me about your story is some of the familial ties to entrepreneurship. So talk a little bit about growing up in a household that had, you know, parents, grandparents, uncle uh, in the entrepreneur space. Yeah. And I'd say this is something that anyone who hears this could often go, oh, I wish I had that advantage, yet realize really what's embedded in the story is just a mindset, which I have to call out was just a matter of ignorance. And and what I mean by that (laughs) was that it's a different dynamic when you grow up in a family where everybody is an entrepreneur and everybody launched a business on their own and they made it work. Because the whole fear cycle of most small businesses fail, or it's going to be slow your first year and every other scary statistic out there. Instead, you know, I grew up in a family where just people decided they wanted to do something and they went after it. So for anyone who's listening to this, who might be kind of on the fence of starting up something new of their own, what would the existence of your life be like if you didn't know that failure was an option, which Mm. somehow makes me briefly reference the TV show in the book um, or the series of books, Walking Dead, uh, which is clearly the obvious reference here, by the way, folks. (laughs) No, because the uh, Robert Kirkman, who wrote the graphic novels and then what became the TV show, uh, one part of the premise of that show was it's an existence of the world where the literature around zombies never existed. Mm. So something happens if we don't have that other premise. So in that TV show, one, they don't know what to call them. And two, the humans turn out to be more frightening. Uh, This is just kicking off. I know exactly on the right tone for the first two minutes. (laughs) But instead, to look at how this advantage of just assuming that there was one option. Yeah. Make it happen. Absolutely. Now, so I do come from that background of everyone's W-2 employees. And so when I decided, hey, I'm going to start my own business, I was kind of like the black sheep of the family. But 11 years later, things have worked out. Nice. So for you, though, um, your dad wasn't always an entrepreneur. He started with a job in a side, side gig, and there became this moment where he had to decide, do I stick with the job or do I make the side gig more than a side gig? And I want you to highlight that story a little bit. Yeah. So he was working for a company, uh, everything in terms of orders and deliveries for a major plastics wholesaler. And um, over time, you know, kind of finding it, whether it's from this corporate company to then government contractors and all of that sort of thing. 
and it was where there was this hobby of photography that picked up and the discovery that here's this guy with a camera. Hey, could you take photos for our wedding? And sure, why not? He said yes. Yeah. And what's interesting to the story, by the way, and is the moment, the turning point was not necessarily that it was kind of impeding upon this delivery job. He was kind of artfully fitting it in wherever there was extra time and it wasn't quite the game uh, as my story was, is of very artfully finding ways to get time off to go off and explore a new career. Yes. In his story, it was just simply boss found out he had another side job and didn't like that, maybe felt threatened. Let's mind read a story from like 40 years ago <laughs> and gave the ultimatum. And that's the day he handed in the keys and they launched a very uh, successful wedding photography business that ran and still continues to run going on more than 35, 40 years at this point. Yes. I love it. Well, we're going to come back to this because yes, as you alluded to, Jason has a similar moment happen in his life. Now, growing up, uh, this idea of performing and, uh, entertaining and magic becomes attractive to you. So talk a little bit about how you got introduced to magic and how you started to you know, do that as I think it was a high schooler. Yeah, so I had must have been like some, you know, everyone at some point in their early years gets like a magic kit. Yeah. Or perhaps, I mean, even the big controversy that now at the time of us recording this, the Dollar Tree stores have increased their prices to $1.25. Uh, <laughs> what have they gone like 30 or 40 years without yet doing that? Let's let them go. Yeah. And even in one the other day, I'm like, they're selling little kids magic tricks. I was the one who got those things and suddenly just stuck with it. Uh, and it became this hobby of eventually like close up sleight of hand magic, um, which I kept that up, I would say up until about the time I was maybe 18 or 19 years old or so. And what was happening though, was that I had this fascination around not just the performance side of things, but more so the finding out how something worked, Yeah, which is part of how in high school, here came the opportunity to get involved with the theater group at the school. And, you know, we all did a little bit of everything. Sometimes you'd be in the play. Sometimes you'd be behind the scenes. And I think that's part of how I ended up briefly in a career working backstage production in theater, everything from regional theater to political events, which used to live in the Washington, D.C. area. And we were all broke back then. So we just worked for whatever side hired us that week. It was all just lighting rigs and calling cues and all of that. Yeah. Uh, but again, this fascination with finding out how something happened and even looking at the artistry as to how a singular moment can have a lot of different pieces to it. Uh. So here would be a matter of 10 seconds and what you saw on the stage completely transformed into something else. A whole other set appeared, the lighting changed, there was sound. And for one part of my career, I was the uh, stage manager, the wizard behind the curtain, calling the cues and making all that stuff happen. Love it. That is good. So as you're growing this piece of, uh, you know, your interests, your hobbies, uh, you you end up going to college and there there's a moment in college where uh a hypnotist is yeah. doing something at school in this. Once again, to your point, it piques your interest. You want to know how does this thing work? So highlight that moment and talk a little bit about that for you. So this is going to get oddly specific for a moment, though. <laughs> stick with me. You're, you're going to see where we go here, yeah. uh, which would be that if you think about 
standard like sleight of hand magic, which is not even a standard I know for most people. Most of it was done with like playing cards or I would do these things with coins. One time, I think I was 15 years, years old at the time. I competed in this international competition. And to my credit, I came in second. Uh, no, I'm not still holding a grudge nearly 30, uh, nearly 25 years later. Um, <laughs> but in the junior division, which this clearly was at 15 years old, uh, the kid who won first did someone else's act with permission, completely verbatim, exactly as published in the book. Mine was original. No, I'm not still holding on to that. It's not uh, better so at all. Folks. That's kind of the indirect way of saying I was actually pretty good at it. Yeah. Uh, yet, <laughs> if the, the, the thing that was sticking, though, was there's this need for exposition very often in a magic trick. And it's the syndrome of what that world calls the and here I have mm. syndrome, because who out there listening to this right now carries around a pack of playing cards at all times. I'm going to guess giving rough numbers, nobody. Yeah, um, I think zero is a safe bet. Who is it that if they actually had the skill and the ability to produce money magically at the tips of their fingers, not metaphorically as we're business owners now, but instead physically like a magic trick in the coin appearing would do so with 1890s Morgan silver dollars, the coins that are, you know, turn of the century coins, which why did we have those? Well, not to give too much away, part of the secret of the trick was those coins were worn down so smooth that if you rub them against each other, they didn't make noise. And that's uh, why we use the coins. That yeah. doesn't reveal too much. But again, it was this, and here I have syndrome. Yeah. So if I, could, if I could really do magic, and this is the quote of a friend of mine, we would be walking down the street and Phil, you would say, man, I'm hungry. I could go for a ham sandwich. And I'd clap my hands and suddenly there would be a ham sandwich, uh, which is not, again, what David Copperfield is even doing in Vegas, but let's keep going here. So there was this frustration, and it's the welcome week of my college, and a hypnotist shows up. And honestly, I had heard about it. I had never seen one of these stage hypnosis shows before where they invite people up. They Nothing is prepared, and it's all getting people to do funny things by way of hypnotic suggestion. Yeah. And for the first time ever, I saw these magical things occurring and there were no props. Mm. There were no tricks to it. It was all communication. The hypnotist did what we call the induction, the process of getting the people into hypnosis. We all heard it. He stayed on microphone and only the people in the on the stage got hypnotized and the people in the audience didn't. And it kind mm. of triggered this, I need to learn more kind of yeah. mindset. So early days of eBay, buying as many books or videos that I could find and the magic kind of faded away on its own. And at this point, I was beginning to pursue that career working in backstage management of production theater. And uh, as soon as in the theater world, you work up to get the actor's equity card, which as a stage manager, we were governed by the same union that actors would be under. Okay. And I kind of crafted this like beautiful five-year plan as to, you know what? I'm on this track to do this theater job, and this is the direction I ought to be going that everyone says I should be going, and yet here's this opportunity to travel and direct my own life, and as the hypnotherapy side of it came into things as I learned more, to help people create these massive breakthroughs in their life, and Phil, at the point of crafting this like five-year plan, I'd say six to seven months in, I got fed up and uh, put in my notice and have a look back. So let, 
Let's educate some folks here on yeah. the hypnosis side. So what is it that allows somebody to enter into the state of hypnosis, right? What are we, and you don't need to be uh, super granular because <laughs> we may not understand it, but at a high level, you know, what's actually happening to, you know, the mind, the body that allows, you know, hypnosis to, to happen. Yeah. So let's address a couple of things here. First of all, to answer that yeah. uh, one would be that it's no longer a conversation. Sometimes someone would say to me, oh, I really believe in that. Or I don't know if I believe in that. Yeah. Um, quick resource for anyone to use scholar.google.com. It's the part of Google that curates studies and research and spend a few moments on there just searching that H word of hypnosis. And you'll see there's tens of thousands of peer reviewed studies that point to what's happening in the brain data in terms of if people use it towards this specific context, here's the success rates of that. So we're no longer in a matter of belief or disbelief. Our actual working conversation, our working definition of hypnosis nowadays, the one that's the most popular, yeah. is that it's that bypassing of those critical faculties of the conscious mind and that bypassing of you know, that conscious awareness. So the easiest way to describe this is we're creating a scenario of automatic reaction without conscious intervention, which this is something we mm. do on our own all the time. Yeah. You can be driving in your car, thinking of everything other than driving your car <laughs> Correct. and you still end up where you want to go. We can yeah. watch a movie and we know the story as to all the characters. They're all actors dressing up and pretending. Um, side note to this, if there was ever a moment in the theater job uh, this either made me very popular or not popular when I could resolve conflict backstage. The actors were fighting about something and just swooping in and going, hey, quick reminder, part of your job description is the word play. <laughs> and you're dressing up and pretending. I'm sorry, what was going on? Yeah. <laughs> and you see the backstage animosity fade away. But again, they're dressing up, they're pretending. And in our wonderful 21st century social media era, you might even know a few of the uh, sort of tabloid stories of the actors. So we have all these other things that we're aware of, and yet we're still getting swept up in the emotion of the story. Mm. Take this into the context, though, of the issues that someone on a personal change aspect would reach out to a hypnotist for. Yeah. Bypassing critical awareness, automatic acceptance, and the unconscious awareness. I know this cigarette's killing me, and yet I'm still smoking a pack and a half a day. Mm. I know this emotion I'm feeling isn't hunger, and yet I'm eating in response to that feeling of sadness or boredom. Yeah. Um, I know all the statistics that I'm safer on the airplane than I may have even been driving to the airport. And yet here's this feeling that's saying otherwise. So on a personal change aspect, the phrase I get to say oftentimes in that world is congratulations, you're kind of already doing this. Yeah. Let me just show you how to do it better. Mm. On the side, in terms of what we always brand together as not just two words, but four words, because the modifiers are important here, ethical influence, yep. positive persuasion, most of this work are not based upon techniques that someone sat around one day and invented because they thought they were cool. It was instead by tracking people who were effective at communication, and we can measure effectiveness as in, was there an intended outcome and did they achieve it? Mm. So tracking people who were effective at what they did, modeling the language patterns that came out of it. So it's where my career really began by doing the work of hypnosis and helping someone to affect a change. 
And what happened was now this shift where the majority of time is working with coaches, course creators, entrepreneurs, showing them what happens when we take these language patterns and put them in the right places at the right time to, again, go towards that intended outcome where, again, we're creating this win-win situation with our prospects. So think of it as easiest description is that we're getting the foot in the door of a new direction. And by way of hypnotic suggestion and influential language patterns, we're widening that step, widening that step, widening that step until that new idea is now embraced as reality. Yeah. So I've got about a gazillion questions, but we'll just start with one. (laughs) So after that happens, right? So I sit down with you, I've got some limiting belief or some pattern that I'm stuck in that I don't want to be stuck in anymore. Is it, I mean, and I'm sure it varies per person, but I mean, is one session with you, is that enough? Is it, hey, we need to be doing this for six months, once a week, you know, to get to a state where you can almost have eliminated that belief or talk a little bit about maybe how that depends per person? Well, I love the theme of your podcast. We were chatting about this before we jumped yeah. on about turning points. Yeah. And I'll, I'll answer that in my world, but also I'll share the thinking behind it. So anyone who's out there working in a one-to-one environment in terms of working with clients, whether it's coaching, consulting, physical training, personal training, you're going to see there's you know, results beyond this. Um, the process isn't magic, though the results can be magical. And now that I've said that out loud, we should get that embroidered on a pillow because it sounds really good. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> though what I'd say is very often, well, there's a quick story to it. Yeah. Uh, guy comes into the office. This is like seven or eight years ago now. We sit down and as you might expect, uh, have a conversation about it. He's filled out some forms. He's answered a few questions. We talk through his goals. And then now we're about to officially begin. It's been a positive conversation up until now. Yeah. And suddenly he points his finger at me and he says, yeah, but you're just going to persuade me. Mm. And I had a moment to pause and I held up his intake forms and I held up all the notes I had been writing out to say, yes, I'm going to take everything that you've already said to me that you've probably been saying to yourself and feed it back to you with the skill set that I have. And this time it's actually going to stick. I'm going to persuade you using your own words. Yeah. And he pauses for a moment. He goes, that makes a lot of sense. And I go, I know, right? <laughs> so the question as to how long does it take yeah. is a bit of a funny one because oftentimes, you know, this whole metaphor of peeling away the onion, that sometimes the issue we're going after first may not be the thing we actually needed to address. And, yeah. you know, here, here's the person who... This story exactly, the one that I just told the story of pointing the finger at me, uh, he was coming in with the goal of quitting smoking. And as a side note, the history of hypnosis goes back to 300, 400 years ago, mostly used by medical doctors using hypnotism to relieve discomfort, to say it politely, Uh of people going through major surgeries or even amputation Mm -hmm. without chemical anesthesia. Mm which sounds a little crazy, but remember three or 400 years ago, chemical anesthesia really wasn't around yet. Right. <laughs> Shot so of whiskey, they, figure it out. Yeah, they were more open to the idea, it seems. Yeah. Um, and over time, here came a magical liquid that made the pain not happen. And the short end of that story is my neighbors are both anesthesiologists. And in the words of my wife, maybe one day they'll ask me what I do for a living. 
because <laughs> they're just fascinated by the history of hypnosis. And the same methods that were used three or 400 years ago to relieve discomfort are the same things that can now be used for here's a chemical change that's occurring as someone's stopping that habit. Yeah. But this specific story, though, uh, I'd say the strength of that session was that through the conversation, it had nothing to do with the cigarettes. Mm. It was instead, here was this escape pattern because he didn't like the work that he was doing. He was dealing with a whole lot of stress as a brand new stepdad of three kids that he had never been a parent before. Yeah. And that was the thing he could go do as a means to escape. Yep. So just to you know, put a button on that story, I think the success of that specific guy, which I saw him once and that was it, came around to the turning point hey, of being able to say, and realize at this point, we haven't yet even talked about cigarettes. Right. And you could see every bit of stress. You could see every bit of the frustration melt away. Mm -hmm. um, the better way to answer this is kind of the correlation to the work that I mostly do now. That because I speak at business conferences, because I speak at conventions in my industry, because I have business trainings available yeah. online... Here came the fact that as someone was looking for a solution to overcome a fear of public speaking, they saw that, okay, this guy can do the work, but also he gets what I'm trying to do because here he is on a webinar. Here he is speaking at a convention and giving an yeah. offer at the end. Um, and what I discovered though, was that we could clear away the pattern of the fear, but then it was time to speak. Then it was time to get in front of the camera and they were the deer in the headlights because mm. now the fear was gone, but the other issue remained. They didn't yet know what to say. Right. Yeah. So, so that's why with these clients that I mostly see now, it's a different process rather than the hit the button and the smoking behavior is now gone. Yeah. Uh, what I would say that the strategy I promised is that I learned early in my career to tell someone um, we can do that in four sessions. And there was a problem with that which would be, what if we got it done in one? And that often can occur. Yeah. When you look at the thing in a new direction, you can't go back to the old way. Uh, what if it's the story of my first entrepreneur, she was a chiropractor who came in for a fear of public speaking and it's the third appointment. And she walks in with like a notepad. I'm like, what's that about? She goes, I saw your presentation where you talked about how to open up in the first five minutes. So your audience sticks around to the end of the presentation. Can you look at my talk? Yeah. It's like, that's not what you're here for. She goes, I know, but I, it's something I think you could help with. And at first I'm kind of dismissive, Phil, and I'm looking, I'm like, oh, this is an amazing story. You need to open with that. Um, you're introducing yourself here, move the introduction to there and the phrase of punch up. So the mistake of telling someone we do this in this many appointments right. is creating a barrier. Yeah. When instead, listen for this phrasing, and this will work for many other industries we found, we start with a plan of, fill in a number that makes sense, we start with a plan of four appointments. If that's all we need, fantastic. If there's value in more, of course, that's an option. My goal is always to give you the most effective process and the most efficient use of your time. Yes. And with that phrasing, depending on what someone was reaching out for, yeah. here are some people that, to say it respectfully, they're raving fans after two meetings and I haven't seen them in years and they're still sending referrals for the various things that I do. Yeah. And here's someone who I met with, I think last month was the last time we connected. And it must have been like the 30th or 40th time we've seen each other. 
and no, it's not the game of fingers crossed. One of these days it's going to work. I promise. <laughs> yeah. It's instead this idea of the evolution of the change. Yeah. And even nowadays, it's no longer, we're not even formally doing a hypnotic process anymore. It's more, again, getting into what we call the hypnotic language hacks. He does a lot of presenting for his business. He does a lot of direct sales. And it's almost more of this consulting relationship now. And he was kind of the inspiration years ago as towards a lot of what I now do, which is one part dealing with that emotional intelligence in terms of how we carry ourselves, but then also how do we now build the influential patterns so our ideal clients are wanting more from us even before we make that offer? I love it. Build some flexibility inside of what you do because what you start with may not necessarily be where you end up. That's great. So we're going to tie in more to some of this verbiage and language and, you know, process with you, but to get back to your story and just how you've gotten to where you're at today. So eventually you get this opportunity to kind of tour the United States or travel the United States and work with different high schools. So talk about how that came to be and then what that really opened your eyes to. So, yeah, the story behind that was because the first thing that I saw was a guy who came to a college and did a show, which I consistently feel freak people out when they say, oh, a hypnotist came to my college. And I ask what college? And then I tell them (laughs) who they saw. Uh, We're a very small community, it turns out. (laughs) And everyone at that point, this must have been 2006, 2007. And I did kind of retire myself from the schools back around 2016, 2017 or so. Yet around that time, everyone was fighting over the colleges. Mm. And I looked around and went, no one's talking to the high schools. And it was a program that was maybe, I'd say, 60-70% positive message motivation, and then 30% entertainment. I'd kind of yeah. you know, refer to it as the Warner Brothers formula. It's why <laughs> most of us know history, thanks to like Rocky and Bullwinkle, uh, Body and Sherman. Get them to laugh. Yep. And so now they actually listen. Yeah. So it was this, I think someone else owns the trademark on edutainment. Uh, yet it kind of fit into that category. And because everyone was fighting over the colleges, that was kind of that red ocean. The high schools at that point were the blue ocean. And the beauty of that was there's this aspect of social proof that could occur, which became, I'm traveling at that point. I lived in Maryland, yeah. um, traveling this route from, oddly enough, most of my friends from high school ended up in Portland, Oregon. And my college friends ended up in Chicago. So guess what two areas of the country I toured the most. Um, (laughs) So there'd be this trip driving from Maryland through West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Indiana, all the way up to Illinois. And the beauty of that time frame was being able to call up and say, hey, I'm coming to your county. I'm doing programs at these four other schools. Right. We haven't yet booked yours. I could do one of these dates. Yeah which was, before I knew better, influential selling, it turns out. (laughs) But it was the sort of social proof that just this is the guy that does this. Mm -hmm. And uh, burning out wonderfully over all the driving and the travel and eventually my wife and I wanting to have kids and making that decision to kind of shutter that down. But it was one point where I was doing upwards of 150 to 200 schools a year, which would sometimes be the school assembly, school assembly, evening program. Uh, yeah. There would also be at that time, these are still kind of popular. They're, they're coming back in the midst of us coming out of a pandemic, what they call an after graduation event or the after prom. Yep. Yeah. 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 
uh, respectfully lock the kids in the school until like six in the morning. Yep. And yes, I was there to motivate. Yes, I was there to entertain, but I was mostly there to prevent the children from producing more children. Facts. <laughs> <laughs> Yet again, you know, back to language, how sometimes just that little bit of a phrase, you know, one of the things that I keep going back to is that building that market, building that, that segment of the business, it was never built upon the premise of trying to sell the school for the first time. It was always built upon this idea that as I'd reach out to a school, the one thing I was really selling, this goes to a quote, I think actually from Mick Jagger, where he references that we're in the t-shirt business. After all, the management takes the money from the music, right. most of the money we make on tour is from the t-shirts. Uh, like the quote from Ray Kroc, that McDonald's is really in the real estate business. Yep. Uh, I was really in the business of selling a tradition. Mm. So I was selling the tradition of, as you bring this program back to your school year after year, it's not just what happened in the course of the one hour on stage. It was all of the expectation leading up to the event. It was the event itself. It was then the stories that they would tell. And you're going to see how over time, this is going to build this big thing up that the students are looking forward to and know this is going to be happening. Yeah. So I was hypnosis, bypassing the critical faculty of the mind, I was bypassing the decision point. And I'd like to claim I was brilliant enough to realize I was doing this back and this is now the reverse engineering. Yeah. I was bypassing the decision point of do we do this, yes or no, to instead sell the story as to here's the tradition we're going to be building, which mm. in order to build the tradition, you got to sign the contract for the first year's performance. Yeah. So that's good. So th there's a lot to unpack there, but as, as you're starting to realize that, you know, I, I, I'm enjoying this activity, but it's also not what I want to be doing for forever. How did you bring yourself to kind of transition from that? I think for a lot of people, you get comfortable doing a certain way of business, right? Or comfortable doing anything. And the idea of changing that means I have to leave let that go to get to the next level. So what allowed you to be able to transition from that opposed to just kind of keeping on the comfortable steady? I know you said burnout, but what allowed that? There's a phrase that I keep coming back to that just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life. Oh, that's good. Hey, yeah. rewind that. Listen to that. That's I know. Good. We'll say it again, just in case. Uh, just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to do it the rest of your life, uh, which on my podcast, actually, a friend of mine was on there and he goes, oh yeah, I heard you say that years ago and that's why I closed this business. I'm like, wow. oh great, that's on me, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Which there's this level of the correlation I'm having to draw right now is you and I are recording this just prior to all the major holidays in December. Yep. And think about that moment where here's that family member who baked you those sweet things, but maybe you're kind of watching what you're eating and there's this expectation that because they made it for you, now you're supposed to eat it. Mm, yep. You're nodding. A lot of people in the audience are already nodding as well, that there's this sort of internal story that we tell ourselves that I need to keep doing the same thing. And I, I think that is something that comes, you know, people who are entrepreneurs, people that are business owners, there's this place where we can have friends that are um, the muggles. We can have friends that are not entrepreneurs, the business owners themselves, uh, Muggles, by the way, for those that don't know, are the non-wizards in the Harry Potter book. <laughs> uh, so, you know, but it's a different dynamic when here's the person who 
to use the professional terminology, works their butt off for a year to get a 3% raise. Yep. Versus, hey, I can launch this new program and suddenly make money appear immediately by serving an audience in a better way. And we have that different level of control over this. So, so sometimes it is the story that we're telling ourselves that I need to keep doing the same thing because that's how everyone else does it. Yep. And it's also to kind of go inside moments of stress or frustration. Um, and I haven't yet told the person this anecdote is about, yet in the final year's example of the theater career, I had an intern. So I was the boss technically on this production. And here was my intern fresh out of college. I was a few years ahead of him clearly. And I'm watching him and I'm thinking, he is so much more of a natural at this. And he is better at this than I want to get. Wow. Oh, that's new. Yeah. And that was one of those beginning turning points. Also embracing that, you know, I can't still be the guy who's on the road for four fifths of the year, putting all sorts of miles on a car and going to all these different events. When nowadays the majority of the business happens from home, I'm there getting the kids off to school in the morning. I'm there as they come home from school. Yeah. So just because you're good at something doesn't mean you have to keep doing it. And sometimes, well, there's a line that comes out of vaudeville theater of the amateur changes their act and the professional changes their audience. Mm. So what you do over time may begin to morph and may begin to take on a different perspective. I still feel I'm doing a lot of the same things that I did early on. It's just a different approach. And I'm more so on the educational side of things now versus, you know, kind of there in the trenches working with the one-to-one -one clients, which was a good dozen years of what I did too. So being open to observing where things go and just because everyone else does it a certain way doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it the same. Yeah. So that's really good. I love the, the reference of the amateur changes the act, the, the pro changes the audience. So for you, though, you talked about how you started to have success in the high school realm. And so now you need to social proof in a different way, though, right? It's not just being an entertainer. Now it's, hey, I'm radically going to you know, be able to help you think about the way you operate your business or these personal habits that you have in a more one-on-one -on -one setting. So uh, how did you begin to social proof that way and grow the business in that regard? Yeah, so there's a bit of an intermission that's inside of that question of yeah. out of the high schools, step one was beginning to shutter down all the travel yep. to then open up. I lived in Virginia at the time. Yeah. I'm now in Florida, but opened yeah. up a business in Virginia that saw hypnosis clients, which artfully we named that business Virginia Hypnosis. The gods <laughs> of the internet opened up and that web domain was available. Okay. And that ran from November 2009 up until just this year, we moved down here in uh, early 2021. So 12 yeah. years running of doing that. So phase one of that was really, I'd say, to give a timestamp, like around 2009 up until maybe 2013 is where the main focus was these one-to-one -one clients. Uh, my daughter was born in 2011, my son in 2013. So in these earlier years, I was more open to working these marathon hours yeah. So to have been the person as my own case study and as some of the business training came to pass, it was, here's how I booked 35 appointments a week 
Yeah. Here's how I doubled my rates and had to open up an extra day of the week because there was a higher demand. Yeah. Here were the ways that in the first year, and I've since edited this presentation, here were the ways that I didn't spend any money on advertising in my first year. And here's how I turned that first year of doing that one-to-one -one business into a six-figure income. Um, now that I understand targeted online marketing, yeah, that, that was a, if I knew then what I know now for very, very specific audiences, let's just yeah. put the message directly in front of them. So phase one of that was being my own, you know, sort of business guinea pig yeah, and teaching from the experience as to here's how I've done it. Never, never from the place of bragging or boasting, but instead, again, the, the secret weapon, the first thing we talked about here of coming from this background where people made things happen because they decided to make it happen yep. is part of that story. But then again, there's clearly moments of, well, I tried this and that didn't work. Or I did this and wow, let's do that every single week because that was amazing. Yeah. And figuring out some of the business systems that really drive the needle of the income, the attention and have people coming into the system of everything. And yeah, I'd say there's this bell curve to running a business, especially if it's more, let's say, boutique level consulting of the one-to-one, -one, which is that bell curve. We have to do a lot more active effort in the initial years to get found. Mm -hmm. And then over time, here comes this arc toward the top where now there's, let's say, a massive digital footprint. There's referral sources that are coming in. There's just yep. a reputation. And I'd say up until the time that we moved, you know, I probably didn't do any advertising of any sort the final three or four years because just people knew that was a business that was yeah. around. So really the answer was putting the work in myself and proving stuff was effective. And then over time, as I began to teach business strategies to other people, then it was about highlighting their success, but, but doing it in a way that wasn't, look how amazing I am. This yeah. person sat at my feet and learned my secrets and look what they've now done. That's going to be embedded inside of the story in a you know, softer, organic way without the ego. It's nope. instead, look how great this person has done. Yes, they learned that strategy from me, which is then driving a person on the other side to tell the story that, wow, this stuff works. Let me get that too. So phase one made it happen for myself. Yeah. Phase two, duplicating it with others. Phase three, bringing it to market. That's great. Now, a an accolade that you received in 2017, I don't know if that is a pure you know, decision or how that came to be, but talk a little bit about that. Because once again, that's part of social proofing, right? Is when you can be recognized as being an expert in your area. Yeah, well, the award came from a conference. It's an international convention that yeah. occurs every year in the Chicago area. Uh, and the award of Hypnotist of the Year which that's, uh, thank you, yeah, that's, yeah. Um, for those that might be watching a video feed of me, it's that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the, I, the story behind that, though, is something that I run two different podcasts. One is called Hypnotic Language Hacks, which is one specifically for a business audience, more entrepreneurial one. The other one is, I'd say, about as micro niche as you can get. Uh, the Work Smart Hypnosis Podcast teaches hypnotists who already do hypnosis, yeah. how to do hypnosis better. So it's not necessarily built to introduce it to the general public, but over time, and this is a cool anecdote, that replaced the flow of the one-to-one -one clients, which kind of gave us the safety to go, 
hey, we don't need to still live up in the Northern Virginia area where it gets really cold in the winter. We yeah. always vacation down to Orlando. Let's just move there. Because what happened was this podcast suddenly had all the traction and that's where the client's were coming in and Phil, they would call up and say, yeah, I listened to that show. Uh, that was interesting. I'm, I'm not the audience, am I? Like, well, <laughs> it's not that there's secrets. We, right. we, we teach how it works. And clearly I always promote a training, you know, in the midst yeah. of the conversation on that. Yet it was that fact that over time, this thing that I was just doing as part of my own education, you know, what is it inside of uh, expert secrets from Russell Brunson, he talks about becoming that person who curates the content, gets yeah. out, does the interviews. And I was just recording the conversations that that I personally wanted to hear. Right. And now that we're well beyond 360 episodes and eight years of episodes on that specific program, this was never the goal. But nowadays, if you're looking for someone in the industry, our podcast episodes pop up as a resource that supplements not just me, but also that other person. Yeah. You can imagine there's different organizations and different Facebook communities. And someone asks a question, even in a group that's not mine. And to answer the question, they make a reference to one of my show episodes. Yeah. So part of that award, it was coming from their board members of that organization that puts that on was really about creating this ongoing resource to really advance, you know, in that brand. And I say this everywhere that to work from the mindset, we ought to be competing with ourselves. If I'm so focused, if you and I happen to do the same thing and you were in my market, and if I was so laser focused on what's Phil doing, how do I do that better? It, it's this distraction instead uh -huh. to work from this mindset that the more we're all successful, the more we're all successful. Mm highlight what your features are, highlight what makes you who you are, because different people in an audience will respond to different factors. Yeah. So that's part of the story as to where that, that award came from and very honored to have received that. That's a big deal. I love it. Yeah. Now, additionally, you were able to publish a book. So talk a little bit about the, the premise of the book, uh, what's called and really what your goal was with the book. Yeah. So the book is Work Smart Business, Lessons learned from hypnotizing 250,000 people and building a million dollar brand. Yes. Quite a, quite a subtitle. And <laughs> the whole premise of it was, which works smart business, it's on Amazon. You can find it easily. The whole purpose of it was the conversations that kind of became the origin of what's now the hypnotic language hacks pro program or even the influence community that I run. What was happening was that as I talked about business, clearly I began with my built-in audience, yeah. which included people already in counseling or therapy worlds. Uh, and there became this sort of trickling out effect where here came personal trainers and acupuncturists and you know even contractors found their way into it as well. And seeing that they needed something a little bit more not hypnosis centered to make it stand out to them. And the whole premise was, you know, and I tell some stories in there in terms of things that we've created and uh, moments in business where here's what was stacked up against me and here's what I did and revealing some of the language patterns behind it. But Phil, at its core, the story is I'm in a profession where I have to promise people sometimes even before we get started, look, I'm not going to make you bark like a dog. I'm not going to make you cluck like a chicken. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's barriers in front of what I do. And, you know, here's someone who's an accountant. 
-hmm. And we don't have to stop and explain what that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's a contractor who does renovations of, you know, outdoor brick areas. Yeah. Um, which is the sound that's happening if you listen very carefully in our neighbor's yard. Um, and again, we, we see that and we know what those things are. Uh, you need to buy a house, you need a real estate agent, you need a loan officer, and they're going to connect you with like, you know, the mortgage and all of that. Yeah. Uh, yet to call out, here are the barriers that I had. And just by shifting the thinking, by shifting not only the mindsets, but also the strategies. So it's a book that reveals some of the hypnotic thinking in terms of these techniques, but mm. does so through the illustration of hey, look, I've had to stop and explain, back to the exposition, the thing that got yeah. me out of the magic. There had to be this level of stopping and explaining things that most other business owners don't have. So whatever personal blocks someone may be holding on to that's preventing yeah. their success, whatever stories, um, again, you don't have to tell them to bark like a dog or cluck like a chicken like I do. Yep. So let's lean into the fact of, again, featuring what you do, telling the story in the way that drives that conversation and ideally has people wanting more from you before you make the offer. I love it. That is good. Well, Jason, I want to be respectful of time. Are there any other pivotal moments that stand out to you that you'd like to highlight in your story that has led to where you're at? Thank you for asking that. I'd, I'd go back to probably 2015. Okay. And I had already launched some programs online. I'd already sort of broken out in the info marketing space and learning that not only could I do a classroom event, but I could then film it and there'd be a bigger audience yeah. later on after the fact. I was at a convention in the Boston area. And just by way of timing, we had done a webinar promoting the upcoming training, which uh, 2015, this was a big chore to figure out for the first time. Nowadays, we do something like this at least once a month. Okay. Hey, three ways to attend this event. Option number one, you can be there live in the room. Space is limited. We can fit 15 in the classroom. Option number two, it's going to live stream online in real time. Option number three, look, everyone who signs up is going to get the replays. And even better, we're going to be shooting the replays with professional cameras. So it's not going to be the... Um, Zoom wasn't around in 2015. Right, yeah, yeah. It's not going to be the Skype replays, right? <laughs> which were all horrible back then. Now they're better. Yeah. Um, and I was at this convention and it was a bit of a turning point in this specific organization's time frame because that was a group that was kind of marked by, this is how we've always done it. Mm, yep. This was a group that was marked by tradition and this is the way we do things. And in that industry, I kept reminding people that the word hypnosis only goes back to 1875. Oh, wow. So with that, we can't be the people saying, this is how we've always done it, because technically it's kind of fresh, at least. Yeah, it's evolving. Word. Yeah. Yeah. So it was a turning point because there was this group that had this refusal of advancing with the times. Mm. And the shape of this was that here's the three-day convention and there's bonus workshops that people can sign up and pay for before or after it's pre-convention post-convention offering and the dialogue that whole weekend was well you know you do this you offer the trainings not for the money but you do it to keep the profession alive and to help people mm. you do the classes so you can help inspire the new generation you don't do it for the money-making aspect of it and phil i'm watching on my phone as sale 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 was coming in from the automated email follow-up from this webinar. And if I remember right, 
I'm thinking it was around like $650 and we had maybe 80 or 90 people sign up for this. So it was like a $30,000 weekend. Yeah. Uh, as I'm hearing everyone else say, you don't do this for the income, you do it for the passion. And the turning point was you can do both. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. So it's, it's to think what are, again, the stories that we often keep repeating yeah. And to really, this is where we keep drilling inside of our influence community. Let's really drill in sales as service. Mm. You're doing it right. If you're speaking to an audience that recognizes here's a problem that they have, yep. and they're in that little bit of a pocket where they're now realizing here's a way that again, I can get out and I can do content that drives the attention. I can look at something and say, if I'm going to now go write copy for a website, here's a template and I know how it works, why it works, and I know how to test it. And to enjoy that part as much as we do our individual services. And again, it's all noble because we're always working towards that place of solving someone's problem. Yep. And it's a really cool dynamic. I have a student who was struggling to break out of the $100 an hour space. Yep. And she goes, I'm now signing people up for a package where they begin for $3,000. She goes, and it's so weird. I'm going to get used to this, I'm sure. Yeah. But they're paying me $3,000 and they're profusely thanking me as they're paying me. Oh, that's new. Yeah. It's like, well, up until then, you were a commodity that could have been anyone else. And mm -hmm. now you've created this influential identity-based brand and they want it from you and they already see the value and what's beautiful of this equation, especially those in the coaching and consulting worlds, do you realize that not just for the sake of the money, but because we've more positively influenced the sale, they're going to follow through with your program. Mm -hmm. They're going to be using whatever you share with them. They're going to be diving in as opposed to the ones that may fade away over time. Yeah. So it turns out to more ethically influence the sales process we actually ethically influence the results that we're creating, even as we work with our ideal clients. That's huge. What a great moment. I'm so glad you shared that. That's good. That's good. Well, Jason, I want to thank you again for sharing all your pivotal moments and uh, things that have led to where you're at today. Super excited to continue to follow your journey and uh, can't wait to do this again in a couple few years when uh, more things have uh, been accomplished and you're even further along in the journey. Hey, thanks for having me. Can I share a free resource for everybody out there? Would love you to do that. Thank awesome. You. So I've put together a free on-demand training called uh, the Video Influence System. Remember the story earlier, the fear of public speaking was out of the way, but now what the heck do I say? Yeah. I unpacked a lot of the videos that I had produced or even my communities had done and broke it down into seven reliable steps, integrating some of these influence patterns into it. And we've made this available to people. It's a free on-demand training. In fact, you don't even get to watch it once. It actually delivers twice for the reason of once, here's the big overview. And then here's the meticulous step-by-step -step details. Love because it. again, the, the beauty is in the details. Uh, people butcher my last name. So we've made this easy. Uh, Jasoninfluence.com. Just go Jason. to that. That'll give you direct access to Put the Put in the show notes. System. Yeah, thank you for that. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, Jason, thanks so much. And uh, yeah, ha have a great rest of the day, brother. Awesome. Thanks for having me. I loved Jason's story and just how he made the comment, even though you're good at something, it doesn't mean that's the only thing you're going to be good at. And it doesn't mean 
you have to do it for forever. So I hope you enjoyed Jason's story, the pivotal moments that have led him to where he's at. Go check out the free resource he mentioned at the end. Uh, It's also in the show notes. Additionally, check out his book. You can order it on Amazon. Have a great one.